Hey, we're going to continue on in our series going, uh, investigating uh, the life of Jesus. And as we do that, we're going through this, the book of Luke. And uh, like any investigation, you got you to gotta collect all the evidence, right? Um, you got to start grabbing and collecting it. And then you can be able to, once you have the evidence, you can look at the evidence and kind of come to a conclusion. Um, and if you think about it, like, man, we have a ton of evidence that just points to um, the reliability and the authenticity of Christianity. In fact, like, if you just think through creation and you think of the complexity of the world, like, science would show us and just logic would tell us um, that the world is really complex in the way it works, right? Um, and, and we would understand in our minds anything that is, is complex, like our cell phone or anything like that, well, there is a designer that sat back and planned out and created it, right? And you would think, okay, if the world, which is way more complex than the iPhone, um, then there has to be a creator behind it who designed it. And we would argue that that's God, right? And then if you just think through and you think of like, oh, okay, okay, that makes sense. All right, historically, there is evidence that points to that Jesus is real. Like history tells us Jesus was a real guy who really lived. What people argue is, is Jesus who he says he was. But then you look at the evidence of like fulfilled prophecies and Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies. You, then you can start drawing the conclusion, okay, well, Jesus can't just be just some ordinary guy. He has to be who he says he was and is that he has to be God. And then you, you start thinking about like the evidence that's sitting in this room. Like when you encounter the real Jesus, there's something that happens, right? Look, at, look through like the story, one of my favorite stories of Saul encountering the real Jesus and it totally, radically changes him. For many of us, man, that is our story. Man, I was going all my way and Jesus changed it. And we are the evidence in our testimony that points to the real Jesus. And, and the story that we're looking at this morning in Luke 7, towards the end of it, um, actually at the end of it, um, it's a story where there comes this woman into the scene and she encounters the real Jesus and her life is completely changed forever. So look at this with me. It starts like this in verse 36. It says, Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him, Jesus, to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet 
weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is and who is touching him. That she is a sinner. It's actually a really incredible scene that's taking place. And in a way, there's some really some awkwardness also in this scene. Like if we put ourselves in it and we think through logically, man, it's some strange things going on. You're washing somebody's feet with tears and uh, perfume, using your hair, you're kissing a feet. You're like there's some strange things going on. In a way, uncomfortable things going on. Like that's the way I'm, I feel when I'm, I'm in that moment. Let me tell you a story. When I was in college, I had one of the most uncomfortable moments of my life happen to me. Um, I was so out of my comfort zone. Uh, I, I went to a Christian school, so I was in this New Testament survey class. So we were just doing this overview of the New Testament. Uh, and my professor decided to give us a... Uh, Give us something to do. Um, and he decides, okay, hey, for, you can either pick, um, do you want to do this 10-page paper, um, or you can uh, do a group project. And me being really scholarly, I chose the group project. Um, just because I'm like, this is easy. Group projects, easy. Piece of cake, let's do that. All of a sudden, I start, because he then begins to explain it, I become out of my comfort zone. Because he says, hey, in this group project, this is what you're going to do. You're, you are going to get assigned a portion of Scripture, and then you're going to act it out. So when we get to that portion of, in, the, in the class, you're going to get up in front of everybody in the beginning of the class, and you're going to act it out. Totally out of my comfort zone. I was not in drama or in, in that scene in, in school. And you got to understand, this is a pretty cool lecture hall. Um, it had like a stage at the bottom, and then it built its way up around it. The seating did. It was, it was pretty cool. But uh, it came to the time where a group met, and we started discussing the group project. By the way, we get chosen to do this story. Um, and I get chosen in our group project after a discussion to be Jesus. Um, and I'm like, oh, great. So I'm all of a sudden going, okay, we got I got my mind's working, and I'm like, we got to figure this thing out because this is, I don't know how this is going to play out. And I'm like, hey, uh, we don't have to do it exactly like this. Like, we all, we all, we will, we can just do it kind of like it, and everybody in the class will, they'll get it, you know? And, and so we all made an agreement. I want to make that clear. We all made an agreement to do it a little different, but close. And, and so it came day, the time of the class, that I'm sitting on this little stage. The classroom is dark, and there's a spotlight on me, and I'm reclining back like Jesus is in the story. And I'm reclining back at this table, and in come the gir- it comes the, this girl in our, my group that's this woman in the story. 
And she comes in with her water basin, like we discussed, and a towel, like we discussed. And she puts the, the basin down, and, and she puts the towel down right next to me. And I'm like, okay, this is all already what we discussed. By the way, I'm already feeling uncomfortable because my toes are out in front of everybody. Um, I like socks. I just got to be honest. And, and I'm uncomfortable. She, here's this girl in my class. And then she goes rogue. It's just, it was it was strange. Out of nowhere comes a bottle of perfume. I don't even know where she was carrying that. And then she just pours that onto my feet. And I was like, this is weird. Not what we discussed. Um, the other, I don't even know, like there was other people in our group project. I didn't discuss this at first. I don't even remember what they were doing. Like there's only, t- it was just awkward. Um, she then goes even more rogue. She takes her hair and starts to dry my feet with, filled with perfume in front of everybody. I've never been more red. I was so uncomfortable. I didn't know what to do or say. Um, I can gladly report she stopped there and didn't kiss my feet. Um, And we did get extra credit for authenticity. I was like, yeah, like we planned. Um, and it was just weird and awkward. And, and this story, it's real, it is weird and awkward, but it's not because of the foot washing. Because that was a normal thing that somebody would do when you were walking into somebody's house in that time. You would, you would get, and there would be a basin of water and you would get your feet washed. It was just normal at that point. What was not normal was it was this woman and this way, right? Think about this story. Simon is this Pharisee. We learn later his name, Simon. So Simon is the Pharisee. He learns that Jesus, who is looked at as the teacher, the rabbi, is, comes into town. And so it was a normal procedure that a uh, visiting teacher, visiting rabbi, would get invited to the house of a Pharisee. That was normal. And, and, and so Simon sends the invitation out. And just like normal Pharisees in Jesus scenario, they're, they're trying to figure him out a little bit. They're doing their own investigation on Jesus. And in that invitation, this meeting with Jesus, and there's gonna be some other people there, it's like, it's like high school, okay? It's like there's, a, there's like a popular table and we all know at the top of the pyramid who's there and then we, you kind of work your way down and we all know who's at the bottom. And in this party that Simon invites Jesus to, it's like an open door party. Everybody's invited, anybody's invited. You're just not invited to sit at the cool table. And so you're invited to come in and sit in the room, sit against the wall and listen to the conversation that the cool kids are having. So it's not strange that she could have been in the room. It's just strange that she goes straight to the cool table. (laughs) And she gets to the cool table and here's a woman who's got a label on her. She's a woman of the city. She's a a known sinner. 
So what, what people say is anytime you see that in scripture, it, it's because she gets around. She's sleep, sleeping around. She's most likely a prostitute. And she enters the house, gets to the feet of Jesus. And who knows what's going on in her mind? Who knows if she uh, came with a speech ready? We don't even know how she really knows about Jesus. Besides, she's heard that Jesus is here. It, it could be she's, she's seen Jesus do a miracle. It could be that she's been a part of one of Jesus, when Jesus is teaching in, to crowds. She could have been one of the people in the crowd. It's just what is clear is she couldn't wait to be in the room with Jesus. And so when she heard the news, Jesus is at Simon, the Pharisee's house. She quickly, she had to quickly go. She grabs the, uh, the vial of perfume, the alabaster jar, which was a costly perfume. And she runs, gets into the room, gets to Jesus and who knows if she was about to say something. What we see in, in the story is she just becomes overwhelmed. She's in the presence of Jesus and she just begins to weep. So much so that it says hey, her tears are now used and falling on Jesus' feet and used to clean his feet and then she, maybe out of awkwardness, because the whispers in the room, gets down and uses what she has, her hair, to dry the feet of Jesus. And, and, and some kind of debate on this, whether, why, why does she use her hair? Well, one, she forgot the towel. And, but it could be, it's because that's all she had. She was in such a hurry, she got the perfume, she forgot the towel. It could be that. It could be that it was like, it was the awkwardness in the room. And she feels so uncomfortable, so she gets on her knees, and she's at the feet of Jesus, and she just uses what's There. It also could be because she's a known sinner and most likely a prostitute that a, a prostitute at that point in time to signal she's open for business, she would go into this, this town and she would let down her hair. She would use it as a signal. So her coming to the feet of Jesus could be, and I think this pro probably is, in some ways, her going, hey, Jesus, this is who I was, who I have been identified, labeled as, this is my sin, and I'm taking it, and I'm laying it at the feet of Jesus. It's actually a really beautiful picture of what the gospel and how we respond to the gospel, right? It's like we realize our sin, and we take our sin, our life, and we surrender it and the foot of the cross, and the feet of Jesus. And then 
the story goes on and she begins to kiss his feet and, and she takes this costly alabaster jar of perfume and pours it out onto Jesus' feet. And, and some would debate, why did she do that? And some would go, because that alabaster jar of perfume was, it was costly. It was like a year and a half's wage. So many women would hold on to this alabaster jar as a, a means of security for tougher times. And it, so it could be she's pouring this out at the feet of Jesus, on Jesus' feet, to signal, to say to him, I'm no longer counting on this as my security blanket. I'm counting on you. I'm relying on you. I'm trusting in you. And it also could be just because of also her lifestyle, her, what she, her identity, her, her sin. It, she also prob, probably was using that perfume to seduce men in. So again, it could be she's again taking her sin and she's laying it at the feet of Jesus to say, hey, I'm repenting. I'm turning from my way and I'm turning and trusting in you. I'm following you. I'm at the feet of you. Again, a beautiful picture of how we should all respond to the gospel. That's what she's doing. What is Simon doing? Simon's thinking to himself, he's like, I know everybody says this guy's like a prophet, but if he's really, really a prophet, man, he would know what kind of woman this is and he would know her sin and because he would know her sin, he would have nothing to do with her. Really, actually, really dark. Because the name Pharisee that literally means separated one. And so, there's some good things about the Pharisees. Like they, they wanted to know scripture and they wanted to, they wanted to avoid sin. They, 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 that's, those are good things, right? But there were some ways that they started twisting God's word and thinking in their mind that weren't true, not right. Like there, he's literally looking at this woman going, there's no way God would love her. No way. No, there's no way that God would want anything to do with this woman. She's too far gone. She's too dirty. She's too unclean. No way. What he doesn't realize is the guy that he has heard about in the Old Testament, the Messiah, is sitting right there in the room. who this woman has come to see, to repent, to come to his feet and lay her life down to him. It's like this. Tonight, there's gonna be the Super Bowl, right? And I don't know who you're picking. And I don't really care. Um, hopefully a good game, right? Um, after the game's done, this is what's gonna happen, right? We all know this. Somebody's got a mic, and they're going to take it and throw it into one of the players' faces, right? And, and then they're going to tell, hey, hey, that was a great game, and then they're gonna, the player's going to talk. And, and this is what happens. In, in ways there's, is good, and there's ways that I, I think there's 
some things that I'm, it makes me question. They go, well, first of all, I want to give all glory to God. And you're going, we all go, well, that's great, right? That's good. That's great. That's, that's, man, look at this. They're using this platform. But listen, I'm afraid that some of us and some, let's just be honest, players, they use the platform and they use God in the platform and it sounds like they're, they're throwing the glory towards them, but what they're really doing is using God as a platform to glorify themselves. Does that make sense? Like, like that's exactly what Simon is doing. He's invited Jesus in. Why? Not because he really wants to know Jesus. Not, really, not because he, man, I want to I wanna worship you. Man, I want to give you the glory. I want to point everybody in the room towards you. No, he's sitting back going, man, how can this guy? Ah, I think he's not, I don't know. He's invited him to the room to glorify Simon himself. Whereas this lady, this woman comes in, uses this moment, the platform to worship him. There's a difference when a player does, they go, hey, I want to give glory to God because he's given me all these accolades. He's given me the ability. Because really, you're turning it and you're twisting it and you're going, look at me. I'm so good. Thanks, God. It's twisted, right? It's not like, like I'll say C.J. Stroud, and I know we probably some of you heard this a lot, but there's a difference. I've listened to it the way he says it. And there's a difference there. It's like, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he's pointing to the cross. So what we should all be doing with our life. That any time we have a platform or in a job or wherever it is, we should always be pointing people. And when we are able to point people towards Jesus, that's our job. And Simon is, he's missing it and she's getting it. And Simon's thinking to himself, man, how could this guy let this lady, why is he letting her be in his presence? Because I'm, I'm separated one. I don't, I don't associate my life with people like this. I'm better than them. I got it more together than them. And Jesus Knowing his thoughts, this is what I love when the story keeps going, knows his thought and he addresses his thought. What he's thinking. He says this in verse 40. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, Simon replied, say it, teacher. Like, it, and when I say it like that, say it, teacher, I don't think it really was like that. I think it was a little bit more attitude involved. Like Simon is challenging Jesus. Well, say it. Like, you got something good to say? You got something that is going to be earth-shattering? Let's hear it. Bring it on. Because he doesn't actually think Jesus is going to say what he's about to say. He's not going to think. He's not thinking, Jesus is about to challenge me. He's going to convict me of my sin. He's thinking, I'm good. I got nothing. I got nothing here. 
Bring it on. Say it. And Jesus then goes and tells them this short story, this parable. Next two verses, it says, A money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which one of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, and again, I, I think this was a little bit of attitude again. He goes, I suppose the one who he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Again, Simon's probably thinking, hey, this, why are you telling me like this nursery rhyme? Like this story is so obvious, it's so easy. Try something a little bit harder. So I got to give you an answer. I suppose it's the guy that's got more debt. You think through the story. Jesus is telling the story and he's like, hey, there's two guys and they both have debt. One has a little debt. It's like 50 cents worth of debt. And the other has a massive out of control debt. This guy feels hopeless, helpless. He's, he's like, I don't know how, what tomorrow's gonna bring. I, I'm so worried about the future. And this guy, the little, little debt is like, ah, it's not that big of a deal. And if the, the money lender shows up and says, hey, you're debt free, which one's gonna really be more thankful, more joyous, is it going to be the, the little debt or is it going to be the guy that has massive debt? I suppose the massive debt. Well, like, no, duh. And Jesus at the end goes, Simon, you correctly said that one. You got that one right. Like what you were thinking earlier, you missed it. And now you're getting, you got that one, that statement you got correct. Good job. See, the story now switches. And the intensity in the room builds because Jesus turns to the sinful woman. And begins now to compare her, a humble, gracious, generous hearted worshiper to Simon the proud and ungracious Pharisee. Look at verse 44 with me. It says, turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? See, I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and had wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased not stop to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. He just challenges Simon. He goes, Simon, you have actually been a terrible host. And he goes, hey, you know how there's like customary things that you're supposed to do? Like the water to wash somebody's feet as they're coming into your house. And you would usually have the guy that you're, you're on the low on your low guy on your, on your workforce to come and do that. You didn't even have that guy come and wash my feet as I entered your house. But Simon, look at her. 
She has not just wet my feet. She's used her tears and she's used her hair to dry my feet. Hey, Simon, you know how you were supposed to greet me as I entered your house with a kiss? Which wasn't something that's weird. It was something that, like today, in cultures around the world today, they still do. They greet someone and give them a kiss, kiss on the cheek to, to welcome them. It's a warm greeting into their home. It's a way to say, hey, hey there's, a, there's a closeness between us. And, and to so... For Simon to totally ignore this, he's trying to make it clear that there's a distance between him and Jesus. He's trying to make, he wants Jesus to know, I don't want you just to feel like there's a distance. I want you to know there's a distance. I want you to know, yeah, you might be on that end of the table, but I'm on this one. There's a distance between us. And Jesus goes, Simon, that's you. That's where you are. That's what you're doing. And look at her. She hasn't stopped kissing my feet. Why? Because whereas Simon doesn't want anything to do with Jesus, doesn't want a relationship with Jesus, he's just investigating Jesus. She wants nothing more than to be near Jesus, have a relationship with Jesus. She, doesn't, she wants to show everybody she's okay to say, I want to be close to this guy. She doesn't stop to kiss my feet. You know how, Simon, you were supposed to anoint my head with oil, which would have been another customary thing that we're supposed to do in that climate and dry. They were supposed to just, it would be like a way to refresh the person that's coming into your house. He's like, you forgot that part. You didn't do it. You know what she's done? She's used this costly perfume. She's anointed my feet. He just brings the, the difference between how they have interacted with him. See, Simon is looking at her and he's just disgusted with her. Whereas Jesus is accepting her. Now, the key, there's something that's going to be key in the next few verses. It says this in verse 47. For this reason I say to you, now looking at, again, still looking at her, but speaking to Simon, he says, for this reason I say to you, her sins. It's When Jesus is accepting her, it's not like he's ignoring her sins. He's even addressing previous, the thought that Simon had is if he would just know her, this kind of woman, what kind of woman this is, her sins, he would want nothing to do with her. And Jesus says, I know her sins. And guess what? There are many. They have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. He switches from talking to Simon, now speaks to her and says, your sins have been forgiven. It's great for her. Her debt that had been massive, Jesus had forgiven. Her much debt, that much debt, he had forgiven her much. And as a result, she poured out her love towards God with an extravagant display. That Simon could not even comprehend. 
It was Jesus now, when he's t- telling her, hey, I, I'm, I forgive you. Your sins are forgiven. It's an assurance to her of that forgiveness, right? And just like I said earlier, you can imagine the room that knows, hey, who's supposed to be at the cool table or not. You can imagine the room and the whispers and the, just the sound at this point as Jesus is saying that. And we see that in the next verse. It says, those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sin? Like, how can he do that? It's kind of like this. Picture this with me. It might be difficult, but picture it. Um, you pulled into church this morning, and as you pulled into church, let's just, uh, let's just say for a second, you just so happened to hit a white pickup truck. You guys see where I'm going with this? And it just so happens to be Pastor Kevin's, and then I just so happens to come out and say, hey, your sin, hey, well, you're, the damage, it's all good, you're forgiven. And got to... Yeah, uh, Kevin, if you weren't here a few weeks ago, he used that example from, as my truck. Um, but uh, the same conversation is happening that Pastor Kevin dealt with a few weeks ago right here. It was, it's actually a good question. How can you forgive sin if it hasn't been committed against you? How can you forgive somebody's wrong if it's not done against you? It's actually really good. It's a great question. But they're not realizing the money lender is sitting in the room. For some of us, we think we have a little debt. Like it's not that bad. And if we compare our life to somebody else, man, we can always find somebody else, right, that looks a little worse than we do. And so when we think about it, we're like, hey, it's just not that bad. I'm just not that bad of a person. So if it comes down to him and me, then it's, it's going to be like God's going to, he's going to let me in. My sin's not that, just, it isn't that bad. What we're forgetting is Romans 3.23. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? We've all missed the mark. That's the point. We've all missed the mark. And, and Jesus, being God, is the moneylender. He, he's the creator. And guess what? He designed every single one of us. So in the very beginning, when he created us, he created us to be in his image. In the image of God, he created us. And what that means is we're supposed to reflect what God is like into the world. His character. But we've all missed it. We've all broken that image. And, and, and our debt, even though we think it's not that big of a deal, it actually is really, it's massive. It's out of control and we just don't realize it. We're like Simon in the story who thinks it's just not that bad, but it's out of control. And so the Bible says in Romans 6.23, speaks to our sin because we've all missed the mark. Our sin, for the wages of sin, is death. doesn't matter if you think you have a little sin or you know you have a lot of sin. The penalty for our sin, we've all missed the mark. It's all massive, and we all deserve death because of it. 
And that's not just a physical death, that's a spiritual death. That's eternity separated from God forever in hell. That's right, that's just, that's what we deserve. But then it goes on, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. For all of us, through Jesus, we can have eternal life. And guess what? It's a free gift. Man, that's good news. That's great news. It's a free gift. And it's not earned. It's not a gift that's earned. It's like any gift. You can either receive it or you can reject it. And if you don't take it, you've rejected it, right? And so in, in this moment, Jesus is dealing with her, her life. And he says to her, and verse 50, as it ends, he says to the woman, speaking to her, he says, your faith has saved you. So go in peace. And just go in peace was just a formal way to say the conversation is done. But he says, your faith has saved you. Not, he doesn't say, hey, because you came in and because you, you washed my feet and because you kissed my feet and because you anointed my feet, that's what saves you. It's not what Jesus said. He said, your faith has saved you because she's trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone for her salvation. It can't be for you and for me. It cannot be, hey man, I'm trusting in Jesus plus, man, I go to church. It can't be I, plus in G, I trust in Jesus, but I, I, I trust also in the fact that I got baptized. It can't be that. It's Jesus alone for salvation, right? The free gift is only through Jesus Jesus says in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one gets to heaven except through me. There's not many ways. There's only one way, and it's only through Jesus. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of eternal life is in Jesus Christ our Lord. You can have, be forgiven of your debt today. Just like this woman comes and she illustrates to us what it looks like when we come to Jesus. You can metaphorically today go to the cross and at the foot of the cross and at the feet of Jesus, you can lay your life down. And really, it's just, it's a simple way. It's just going, I cannot do it on my own. I'm broken. If I keep following my, my, my desires, I mess it all up. My debt isn't little, it's massive. And so I need a savior. I need the hope of the world, Jesus. Have you come to that point? For some of us, we maybe came into the room this morning and we, we came and we were just investigating Jesus. We haven't made our mind up yet. Maybe for some of you, you realize now I need it. I've made my mind up and I need to repent of my sin and turn my life, the reins over to Jesus. And you can do that simply by just in the next song, just crying out to God, just going, hey, I'm giving you my life. I'm surrendering all to you. 
If you want to talk to a pastor about that, you can, after our service is done in room one, we'd love to talk to you what it looks like to trust in Jesus, make that decision. It is the greatest decision you can make in your entire life, right? But then for many of us in this room, we have come to that moment, right? We have decided on Jesus. We've surrendered our life. We have the moment where we trusted in Jesus. And it changes everything. We are no longer filled with debt. We're forgiven. And and we go from, like she's gone from this known sinner to forgiven. She's made new in that moment where she's trusting, laying her life down at the feet of Jesus. She's made new, changed for all of eternity. She's born again. Her sin has been dealt with. She's debt-free. It's washed away. She's made white as snow. It's, their sin is gone from as far as east is from the west. It's gone the debt is removed. And so she, she realizes she's been forgiven much. And so she has to love much. For some of us, we forget that because we forget that our debt is so big. It's out of control. Man, we needed Jesus. Without Jesus, we were hopeless. And if we had that moment where we cried out to God, and we've surrendered our life to him. And we're forgiven. So it changes everything. It changes the way, we, why we do church. We are, all of a sudden, our motivation is to be with people that love Jesus, right? Not, not perfect people. People that had massive debt that's been paid for by Jesus. And so we come together to worship him because we want to love him much. Because he deserves it. Here's my, I guess my challenge for this week, for me, to you, and for myself. Man, do we love him much? His wood, stand with me. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. And God, we just thank you for the opportunity to come and worship you. And God, you deserve our worship. And God, I just ask that this morning, for all of us that have made that decision to follow you, Lord, help us reminded of our sin. Not that we're called a sinner anymore, but because of you, we have been adopted into your family. We're now sons, daughters of yours. We're forgiven. Lord, help us to love you more today because of what you have done for us, that you laid your life down as a ransom to pay for, to deal with our sin. And in that, God, in that fact that you went to the cross to deal with our sin as the money lender, you can offer us forgiveness. And all we have to do is accept it. And so if we have accepted it, let us love you much. And if we haven't, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't leave today without deciding on you and trusting you. God, as our church here, we love you. 
We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.